Naja Curry. <laughs> hello, hello, hey, ladies. Danny girl. How are you? Um, and as I'm wonderful. Um, to our guest, how are you, Mr. Curry? Oh, I'm just fine. I'm just trying to stay safe and healthy during this ever so challenging pandemic. Okay. Absolutely. Um, trying to do pretty much the same thing. Okay. Can you hear me, Danny? Yes, I can hear you fine. Okay. I was going to say, I tried to sit in the space where my I wouldn't have any, any um, system issues or anything wrong with my phone or glitches. So um, I'm sitting and hopefully all is well regarding my sound. Um, but for those of you who have already joined us in the chat, hello, hello, hello. As you all can see by the thumbnail, um, we're going to be having a candid conversation uh, with popular author and dating coach who has written and published a host of books, um, including the popular mode one, uh, Mr. Alan Roger Curry. Uh, he's known to his male fathers as the godfather of direct game and to his female followers, followers, excuse me, as the king of verbal seduction. So first off, we want to thank you for agreeing to do this interview. And also thank you for the shout outs that you get, you've given us on your channel too. Oh, you're very welcome. Very, my pleasure. Thank you. So we're going to dive right on in, Danny. What, what, do you want to um, go first and then just kind of you go and then I'll go after you and um, go in sequential order? Or how do you want to do this? Um, yeah, I can go first. And go ahead. Just like that. So, um, Mr. Curry, really, really great to have you here. Um, so let's just dive right on into it. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get right on in. Let's hit the ground running. Yes. So you've you've dated a lot of women, right? Right. Um, you understand the dark nature of women. You've wrote a lot of, you've wrote a few books on um, women's dark nature, um, men being able to say whatever they, they, they want. What would make you uh, get to a point of settling down after all of this time, like what would make you settle down? We we understand. You ain't wasting no time, Danny. Go no, because honey, I'm like we got we got a lot to cover, honey. We got a lot to cover. <laughs> well, number one, that, that's a, that's a good question because it's a question that's been uh, posed to me quite frequently, and uh, I just simply say by women's nature, I understand it. I accept it. And you, you just got to get to a point where you can lean on your gut instinct and your intuition about the type of person you're dealing with in a relationship. And as far as my fiance, I feel like she's a top quality woman. To date, she hasn't given me any sign that uh, I would have any regrets in the near future. She comes from, uh, she has an extremely close relationship with her father, which is something that's important to me. And as well as she has a great relationship with her mother. So uh, I've always, the biggest thing for me, I've always wanted a son or daughter. And my college sweetheart 
The one other woman who was pregnant with my baby, in addition to my fiance, was my college sweetheart. But she didn't want to drop out of school, so she chose to have an abortion. Mm. And ever since then, I've wanted a son or daughter. And I, I told friends for a few years now that if I met the right woman that I felt like I could raise children with, then I would go ahead and more than likely tie that knot. And the woman I'm I'm currently engaged to, she's five months pregnant with my son. Matter of fact, interesting enough, we find out tomorrow the gender. Oh my! Tomorrow, if it's going to be a son or a daughter, and that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, but yeah, contrary to popular belief among some men who follow me, like some men, particularly in relation to one of my four books called The Beta Male Revolution. They felt like I I have maintained a lot of anti-marriage sentiments. But the truth of the matter is, I've never been anti-marriage. I've just always pointed out the strengths and weaknesses of marriage. And I pointed out that for some guys, there's certain type of guys that I do think should be hesitant to get married should be reluctant to get married. Uh, If I had to highlight one would be a guy who's just kind of a weak type of dude, a guy whose Mm. wife is going to end up browbeating him, bullying him, just fully taking advantage of him. That type of guy who has weak backbone, he should think twice about marriage because more than likely he's just going to be exploited. But if, if you're a man like myself with strong backbone, strong character. Um, like my fiance is, is extraordinarily feminine and extraordinarily submissive, which are two characteristics I look for in women. And so, you know, we, she knows her role in this relationship and I know mine and we get along famously. Well, she's a, and she's very beautiful. <laughs> might I add, um, congratulations you. on your engagement as well as your baby. That's so exciting. I do have a piggyback question though. Um, so your reason to marry at this point has nothing to do with your age, like maybe feeling like you're aging out of the game a little bit. No, 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 no. no. And again, that's a good question too, because mm-hmm. I know a lot, a lot of men have proceeded like, Oh, he's getting old. And you know, no, if I would have found a woman five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago that I felt like was worthy of being the mother to my children, then I would have got married five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, Now, in my 20s and 30s, one of the reasons I I never attempted to get married was because financially I was not in a position to get married. I've admitted many times on my channel, for most of my 20s and the vast majority of my 30s, I was erratically employed and broke. Well, I wouldn't say flat broke, but I was I was financially struggling. Mm-hmm. I didn't really become what I would call a financially self-sufficient adult man until about my early to mid 40s. Um so yeah, but um no, it's age is a very secondary factor. It was about for me finding a woman who was worthy of being the mother to my children. Oh, interesting. Danny, you have a follow-up question? 
Um, actually, I did. Um, you said that certain men shouldn't get married, especially if the woman is going to be the type to bully them, to make them feel some type of way. And so my question to you would be, do you ever hear how men say that women will switch, flip the switch on them and there'll be one thing one day and as soon as they get married, as soon as the, uh, it's official, they turn into different people. Um, did you have a certain way to uh, vet your fiance and would you have any advice on vetting to other men? Well, yeah, I, I talk about that very concept in my own book. The Beta Male Revolution. Mm -hmm. There's a chapter I talk about. It's, it's entitled "The Bait, the Marital Bait and Switch." Um, so that does happen. Um, matter of fact, when I had my blog talk radio show, I remember I interviewed this Caucasian gentleman from the East Coast who talked about that. He was with a woman, and he said while he was dating her and while he was engaged to her, she was just easy to get along with, very sweet. And then he said within a year or two after they got married, she turned into the bitch from hell. And he said the last five years of his 10-year marriage to her was a sexless marriage. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I give guys, when I consult with them, different little both overt behavioral trait signs as well as more subtle behavioral trait signs to look out for where they can do a good job of predicting if a woman's going to do a bait and switch. And here's one thing I just say in general is that one thing men and women need to stop doing when they date is trying to leave each other with nothing but favorable impressions of themselves. Mm. That's on paper. That sounds like a good thing, but in the long run, that's, that's not a good thing. You need, you need to be, like my first book, Mo One, is predominantly about being a real, authentic person. You, you need to be real and all, you need to force yourself to be as real and authentic as possible yourself, number one. And number two, you need to ask questions to your partner that provokes them. Because there's certain questions you can ask people that will provoke them to reveal who they really are. But mm. if you if you're just full of fluff talk, talking about all mm. oh, how great the weather is and how great your grandma was, how much you love your sister's dog, that's not helping anybody. I actually agree with that. Um, I, I think that most people um, send their representatives. Um, exactly. And generally for the first maybe six months to a year that you're dating, um, you know, you're dealing with the representative or the image that the person that you're dating wants you to see. Um, I do have a question, though. Um, do you think that marriage will somehow affect your reputation as a dating coach and, um, you know, as you know, the king of seduction? Will that at all? Do you feel like that might impact your image? Mm, kind of have. Yes, have. No. Um, as far as negatively affecting my credibility as a dating coach. I don't believe it will. And I'm and more emphatically, I don't think it should because the only time I think it, uh, me getting married should have a negative effect uh, on my reputation as a dating coach is if all of my advice was about remaining single. 
<laughs> then mm -hmm. quite naturally, me being married would be a contradiction to that. Absolutely. Um, but there's in, in none of my books do I promote the idea of remaining a confirmed bachelor indefinitely. I don't promote that in Mo One. I don't promote that in Who Said Again. I don't promote that in the possibility of sex and contrary to popular belief. I don't promote that in the beta male revolution, which is probably the number one book that most people misinterpreted as me promoting that. But I've never told men that they should be a confirmed bachelor. Now, if they want to be, I, I, at the same time, let me make it clear. I'm not criticizing guys who do choose to be a confirmed bachelor from now until the day they're six feet under. If that's their choice, so be it. But I've never specifically encouraged any man to do that. So in that respect, I don't think that me being engaged now or me getting married in the future should in any way negatively impact my credibility as a dating coach. Now, as far as under my, my uh, nickname, the king of verbal seduction, yeah, marriage is going to change that because that, that is, for the most part, related to me being a prolific womanizer. Um, so, I mean, you know. Well, I had a question to that. Mm -hmm. So, are you in a polyamorous relationship? Yes. Okay. Because I noticed um, the Interesting. last time you were on our show... Um, Mr. J had brought up um, polyamory, or I don't know if she brought it up, but it was spoken about. But I noticed you kind of went a little hard about it. And so I was like, well, maybe he's in an amorous relationship. Um, being that you're in a polyamorous relationship, do you think that that would actually give you more clout as a dating coach and as a verbal seduction? <laughs> it could. It could. Yeah. Here's my thing, and I do say this in my book, The Better Male Revolution. I don't believe, I think there's generally two types of monogamy you can be involved in, and that's obligatory monogamy and voluntary uh, monogamy. Mm -hmm. And the simple difference between the two is if you're married or in a relationship, and the only motivating factor for why you're monogamous is because you feel like you're supposed to be or you have to be, then that's obligatory monogamy. Whereas polyamory doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically going to be fucking other people other than your partner or spouse. But what it means is that during those moments when you are monogamous, like up to this point, um, me and my uh, fiance, we have been monogamous to each other. But it's totally by our choice. It's, it's a genuine desire to be. It's not like I'm telling her, hey, you better not cheat on me. You better have none of us. You know, I'll do this or that and, and vice versa. We don't have any of that. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that mm -hmm. we, true, we both choose. But yeah, I mean, the thing I had a problem with what Miss J said, among other things, was she made one comment where she said, either said or implied that the only way a marriage can be healthy is if it's strictly monogamous. And I know for a fact that that's just simply not the truth. Well, I have a question for you. Um, I must admit that 
from what I knew of you, I, you know, I knew that, you know, of course that you're an author and um, I knew that you authored mode one and that you are also a dating coach. Um, I actually heard you on some different platforms in the manosphere and um, uh, it was, it, you know, quite evident that you're articulate, very intelligent man. Um, and um, I, from what I, I was actually just pretty surprised to hear that, I think it was on our last panel. That, oh no, the the panel. I think the panel that we were just referring to um, when you said that um, you are mon- when you are in a monogamous relationship that you are actually committed, and that I think I don't know if you said like you've never cheated or you don't generally cheat if you are you know if you've decided to be in a monogamous relationship with somebody. And I just found that to be quite um, interesting and, and and surprising. Yeah, a lot of people think. If, if a guy has been a prolific womanizer for a number of years, that it's inevitable that he's done a high degree of cheating with his girlfriends and significant others. Whereas, no, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say I've never, ever cheated. I actually have. When, when I was between, I think, roughly 17 and 20. Yeah, the age of 17 and 20, I did there was like at least two, if not three women that I dated, that I did cheat on at least once. But I would say starting with the age of 21 to now, and I'm now 57. So you're talking about 36 years. For the last 36 years, I've never, ever cheated on a woman. If I was in a a serious relationship with a woman, I told her at the outset of the relationship, I would say, hey, I care for you. I love you, whatever. But I'm going to let you know up front, if I cross paths with a woman that really gets me horny to the point where I want to exchange orgasms with her, there's a greater than 50% chance I'm going to exchange orgasms with her. And I would give the woman a choice. I would basically say, if you if, if you think this is a, a scenario that you can't handle, let me know and we'll go our separate ways right now. But if you, and I, mean, I think I mentioned it when I was on your stream. I said, because one other guy that was on was saying that sometimes you can propose things to women thinking that they're going to have a very negative reaction to it mm-hmm. and to it only to be pleasantly surprised that they co sign with it. That's been my experience a lot of times. Like There was a lot of women that I would tell them, basically, I'm not going to be faithfully monogamous to you. I'm going to fuck other women. And I was expecting those women to say, oh, well, then hell no, then I ain't dating you then. But a lot of those women would say, oh, I'm cool with that. I don't don't care. Have you ever had a woman cheat on you before? Knowingly, no. Where if you're talking about cheating on me to the point where I, yeah, I was aware of it. I knew about it. No. If I had my best suspicions, yeah, there's probably at least one, if not two exes of mine that I would suspect that they probably stepped out on me um, before when I was younger. But I've never had a woman like come to me and confess, Alan, I cheated on you. Or one of my friends or her friends came to me and said, hey, Alan, you know, your girlfriend is cheating on you with so-and-so. I've never had that situation. If you suspected cheating right now, would you go through a woman's phone? Oh, I don't, I don't, no, I don't do that shit. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I, 
<laughs> and I hate to kind of uh, move past the point in which we're, with the conversation has grown to, but I did want to ask about something. Um, I know that you, you, you've done very few interviews and that you, there's this notion that you typically don't like to be interviewed by women. Um, can you confirm or deny that and kind of expound upon maybe where that came from? Yeah, that's, 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 that's confirmed. Uh, matter of fact, I mentioned that in me promoting this, this interview to some of my followers is that, uh, yeah, this is only my second one-on-one interview I've had since I've been on YouTube with a female host. The first was, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with a sister named Irene Yvette. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I gave her an interview uh, in mid-January of last year. And then one other interview, but it wasn't one-on-one, was uh, a woman who goes by the name Nicole Michelle, Inner Beauty. But that was more of a group. It, it was like me and like three other women and one or two other guys. But uh, no, one of the it's not. I want I don't want to generalize all women, but in the past, like when I was on Blog Talk Radio, I used to get invited by uh, some of the other uh, Blog Talk Radio hosts who happened to be women for interviews, and I had a few that went well. But I'll say this, for every one that went well, there was probably two that I ended up being displeased with. Um, one, one off the top of my head would be, I'm pretty provocative and explicit conversationalist. So one would have to do with language. I, I can't deal with a woman that's a verbal prude. So now if you say that up front, then I have the choice to either agree to the interview or not. So I don't have a problem if a woman says from the outset, hey, Alan, I want to interview you, but I got to let you know, I don't want to use, I don't want you to use any profanity or any X-rated language. Then I'm fine with that. If I accept the interview, then I'm going to modify my language. But I had instances where a woman would invite me to an interview and she wouldn't put any kind of, you know, guidelines about language. And then when I would start getting real explicit, she would start using this self-righteous, judgmental type admonishments towards me. And I'd be like, oh, oh, fuck no. You know, so that's one thing. Language. Uh, yeah. Another thing would be along the same lines, just general censorship, trying to tell mm -hmm. me what I can and can't talk about. And the third and probably biggest thing is I don't like talking to women who try to act, you know, the classic I'm not like that, or the most of my gender is not like that. That irritates mm. me. You know, would that be classified as a wholesome pretender? <laughs> there you go. There you, you see, you familiar <laughs> with my, my terminology? Yeah, absolutely. Wholesome pretenders and erotic hypocrites. I don't, you know, um, yeah, I don't like that. I, I if I if a woman's going to interview me. I want her to be just as real and authentic with me as I'm as I'm being with her. Now, that's not to say that, I don't know. Let's say I was talking about having threesomes and group sex. And you said, one of you two ladies said, oh, well, that's something I've never done before. More than likely, I'm going to take you on face value. So I'm not going to be prone to challenge that if you speak solely for yourself. But if you were to say something like, 
well, what kind of women you dealing with? Because I don't know any women in my life who ever had a child <laughs> threesome. Only a, some kind of skanky woman who used to do porno movies would do. See, that's the type of shit. I'm like, okay, shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. You're lying. Yeah, I, I think I had kind of got a first, well, I got a first pill of uh, honesty very early. But I can remember um, when I used to go to church real heavy, um, there was this chick I used to go to church with, and she sang the choir. She led the youth uh, choir, um, little events, whatever. And um, we ended up hanging out. Man, totally, totally what I was not expecting. Like, she was a freak hoe. Not like a regular hoe, but like a freak hoe. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh. Oh, here's the thing. Some and I think most people know this already, but some from my experience, some of your biggest freaks are women that are are religious, go to church every Sunday. Um, like to highlight a, a quick seduction story. I remember when I lived in Los Angeles, I was in McDonald's on a Sunday. And met this sister and started being mole one with her. And I was talking major shit, talking about how I was going to bend over and fuck her doggy style, make her come on my dick. And she was like, you so bad. I can't, I can't believe you talking like this on my way to church. And I said, oh, really? You're on your way to church? And she said, yeah, actually, I'm a Sunday school teacher. And, you know, first she light Harley was like, you shouldn't be talking to me that way because I'm, I'm a good girl and I go to church and Let's just say we, we all know what happened later. <laughs> what y'all had Bible study? I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, we had study. We had intense study. <laughs> it was it was some intensive study period in there. And uh there was a lot of oh my god and that type of thing going on. So uh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, women. I don't. It, what I what I always do whenever I interact with a woman is, I like to challenge women's boundaries. In other words, let's say there was a freak scale from one to ten. Now, there's some women who might be an eight, nine, or ten level of freakiness, and they know that, and once they get comfortable with you. They will acknowledge that. But then there's other women who've never had their boundaries challenged. So they might think, figuratively speaking, that they're a five or a six. But then I will work on their minds and use the magic of my verbal seduction to push them to experiment at a seven, eight, nine, or 10 level. And they'll basically be like, more or less like, damn. I didn't even know I had it in me to be that freaky. Like for a simple example would be, I was just talking about group sex a few minutes ago. I've had some women that I met that they said, oh, I would never engage in a menage a trois. I would never do that. And I would be like, are you sure? They'd be like, no, it's just not in me to do that. And I would give them this look like, really? And without getting a lot of detail, sure enough, with some women, it might be as quickly as a week, two weeks, three weeks later. Other women, it might be three or four months later. 
but I would end up having that same woman who said, it's not in me to indulge in a menage a trois and indulge in a menage a trois. You know, so some women, and I would say to a lesser extent, some men might be like that. There's some men who might not know what their boundaries are. They might think their boundaries are, say, at a, at a seven level when their boundaries are actually at a 10 level. They've never had anybody tempt them. You know, somebody has to be that 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 person who tempts you with a woman they call that a temptress, you know. And uh, so like you have men who say, oh, I, I'm in love with my wife. I will never cheat on my wife. And that's because they ran across a woman who was able to tempt them to cheat on their wife. You know, so. Uh, yeah, but yeah, a lot of women, they, you know, they don't know their own boundaries, but some women do. And I understand one of the reasons why I started this adults only podcast program I have called the Erotic mm -hmm. Conversationalist. I haven't done an episode of that in a long time. But one of the things that played into me starting that was that I, I had had a number of conversations with women where they would essentially tell me, Alan, you men are lucky. And I would say, what do you mean? And after a while, I, I knew where, where they were going with this. They were basically saying so many words like, see, society gives men a pass to go out and sow their wild oats and be adventurous and experimental sexually. But us women, most factions of society puts pressure on us to maintain the proverbial good girl image and good girl, you know, uh, social reputation. And sometimes that can become taxing. You know, the minute you try to be sexually liberated, what do you call? Call a whore. You call a slut. So I wanted to have conversations about this. And that's one of the things that played in to my show, The Erotic Conversations. If you were to listen to the episodes, like definitely probably two thirds, three fourths of them or more, have that somewhere in the conversation, that discussion about how has it affected you as a woman, the pressure of always trying to be the proverbial, innocent, wholesome, prudish, mm. monogamy-oriented good girl? Okay, so where, where does this podcast air? Is it on YouTube? No, it's, uh, if you go to my website, it's um, uh -huh. direct approach dating.com which is my main website and then forward slash podcast direct approach dating i'll put it in the uh, yeah if someone can put it in the chat for us i would greatly appreciate that i do have another question for you alan sure um can you for those of um, our listening audience who don't know what mode one is. Can you give us just a quick synopsis as to what mode one is? And my follow-up to that would be, is mode one something that would work for women? Mode one, um, I came up with that when I was in my 20s. Well, here's the interesting thing. I start exhibiting mode one behavior before I actually gave it that specific name. So you can say I was being mode one before I actually start calling it mode one. I start being mode one when I was 21. I was a student at Indiana University at Bloomington, Indiana. 
And uh, to give my quick two to three minute backstory, it started of all things with a porno movie. I was watching this porno movie the summer before my freshman year in college called Talk Dirty to Me with this white, popular white porn actor named John Leslie. And in the movie, without getting too lengthy, you could say he was basically Mo One, or what I would actually call Mo One Hardcore. He would he would approach women, and within the first three to five minutes of the conversation, he would essentially let them know he was trying to fuck. And when I saw that, you know, I was like 18. This was like summer of 1981. I was blown away by that shit. Because not only had I never seen a guy do that in real life, but even in movie form, I had never seen a guy do that. So I was like, what the fuck? This dude just went straight for the jugular and shit. And at the time, my, my older brother, his name is Steven, he kind of laughed at me, like basically like, man, this is a porno movie, man. Come on, man. Don't be taking no mental notes and don't even think about doing this in real life because you'll get slapped, you'll get cursed out. This is a this is a porn movie. I want you to keep that in mind. This this would he literally said this would never ever work in real life. If it's he, very taboo. Yeah, he at the time he was like he said, bro, this would never work. You would never be able to get away with that in real life. And I did. I I took heed to his advice at the time. So for the first you'd say roughly three years of my college years, I never was. Until I think Sister George has a copy of my book. Who said again? Mm-hmm. My turning yeah. point is described in that book. I have in the part two of Who said again? I have six verbal seduction stories. In verbal seduction story number one, which happened in August of 1984, when I was 21 years old, that was my first major turning point. And uh, and then from there, I told my frat brothers, I'm a fraternity cap of a side. And just about all of them were about getting women in bed by lying to them. What's mm-hmm. known these days as indirect pump and dump game. That's what most of my frat brothers were doing is indirect pump and dump game. And I basically was one of the few frat brothers that was willing to challenge that. I was like, basically, why, why you guys do that shit? And they was like, because you got to. What other choice do you have? I said, how come you don't just straightforwardly tell these women you want to fuck them casually? And they, a lot of my frat brothers honestly laughed at me. They was like, man, you can't just go up to no woman you don't know, ain't never talked to before, and just straight up tell her all you want to do is fuck her casually. Man, you're going you gonna to get slapped. You're going to get cursed out. Well, without getting to a long story, I said I disagree with that, and I did it. And to my pleasant surprise and their shock, I got way more favorable reactions to it than I did negative reactions to it. Then a lot of guys, my friends who were first criticized me, went 100 degree, 180 degrees the opposite and started playing me up. Like they would tell other guys about me. It was like, hey, man, y'all got to hang out with a-. They used to call me AC. That was my nickname among my frat brothers. They was like, man, y'all need to hang out with AC, dude. AC is hands down the most verbally bold, sexually straightforward motherfucker on this campus, man. He will walk up to a woman and tell her straight up that he want to slide his dick in her mouth, man. I ain't never seen no shit like it. And these women will be giggling and shit. 
And uh, so I gained this reputation. And then what happened was my brother, again, now you rep, go back to what I told you my brother's reaction when I watched that porn movie. Mm-hmm. My brother transferred down to Bloomington. He was at another campus. And a lot of my frat brothers were starting to come up to him. They said, hey, man, so you AC's brother? Man, your brother trip, man. And my brother was like, you know, like, what you talking about? He's like, oh, man, you surely you know about how your brother is, man. That nigga just straight to the point, man. I mean, he don't mince no words at all, man. He'll meet a woman at 8 o'clock, and by 8.02, 8.03, he's talking about fucking a doggy style. My brother was like, my brother? Are you serious? So he came to me like, so that movie you watched that time, Talk Dirty to Me, you started to use that shit in real life? I said, yep. And he said, and you getting positive results from it? I said, yep. And then he witnessed it. One day we went to this 24-hour grocery store of all places. It was like about 1.30 in the morning. And I got this chick I met in the grocery store that night to, to take me to her car, and she sucked my dick. And my brother witnessed it, and that's when he was on board. He was like, oh, man, dude. He said, man, if you're getting results like this, he like, dude, you need to put this on paper. You need to put this on paper. And I didn't put it on paper immediately, but a few years later, I started thinking about all the behavior, both that I exhibited towards women and that other men I knew exhibited towards women, particularly with the objective of getting women in bed. And it came down to basically four general categories. So at first I started putting them all in these different categories. I called it category one initially. I would say, okay, this behavior falls into category one. This behavior falls into category and I, I want two. to ask you a question. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to know, do you think the majority of men should go through a certain phase? Because you talked about sleeping with married women. You've talked about, um, excuse me, sleeping with all kinds of different women and what stuck out to me was the married women part because you really got a chance to see women um, in their in a, in a certain nature. And so I was wondering, did you think that a lot of men should go through that type of experience so that they can better understand women's nature? What do you think? About well, that, that's an interesting question, Sister George. It's kind of a tricky question, actually, because I would never want to encourage men to go out and have sex with married women. But I would say if they, if they do, mm-hmm. yeah, it, w- it would probably uh, benefit them to one degree or another. I mean, cause yeah, you know, under, under the category of sexual duplicity, meaning women, right. you know, acting one way in public and another way privately and so on. Yeah, it was it was eye-opening for me. Here's what was was interesting. Well, there was a few things I learned, but probably one of the biggest, I'm gonna give your gender credit. Women to me are much more savvy, calculated cheaters than men are as a group. Right. Like women, based on what I experienced and what I observed, women could cheat on a man in a way that 98, 99% chance their husband, fiance, or boyfriend would never find out. Whereas men, you probably have a small percentage of men in that category, 
But from my observation, most men are sloppy cheaters. They almost always end up getting caught. But uh, women, man, I they, agree they, they know how to cheat. Like, like I've had women do some smooth shit. I'll give you an example. Let's say a woman might be with her her husband. Oh, I, I hear one of my stories. I've mentioned it two or three times on YouTube. I'll mention it again. Here's one of the boldest. And I mentioned in an article I wrote for the Negro Manosphere. You know what a slick thing some women will do? There's an adage that goes, the best way to hide something is in plain sight. Mm-hmm. I've had women, at least probably one-fourth to one-third of the women that I had sex with who had a, a husband, fiance, a boyfriend at the time, those women introduced me to their husbands, fiancés, and boyfriends. Wow. They would say, this is my friend, Alan. We used to go to college together. And, you know, the guy would be like, hey, get to meet you, Alan. And, but yeah, I had one woman. I was at her house. She invited me over for dinner. And her husband was cool with it. He said, yeah, I'll cook. And a woman took me down to her basement. She told her husband, I want to show Alan something. And he was like, yeah, sure. And he was, you know, upstairs cooking dinner. And all of a sudden, she went right for my crouch. She started trying to zip my pants. And here I was. I was actually the one trying to stop it. I was basically like, what you doing? Sheesh. And she was like, what do you mean, what am I doing? She said, I, I want you. I want you in my mouth. I said, but your husband's upstairs. And she was basically like, I don't give a fuck. That's scary. Yeah, literally. She was like, I don't give a fuck. And yeah, she started sucking my dick in the basement while her husband was upstairs cooking dinner. <laughs> I have a question in re- reference to that. First of all, I think that's very scary. It's like playing with fire. I just it is more know. than playing with fire. Oh my gosh! But I want to know: Do you think? And I, I, you know, like I said, uh, I actually read Mode One and Ooh Say It Again. Um, I read both. Of, well, I listened to the audio books. So um, mm-hmm. both books, very, very interesting, good work. Um, but I want to know if you think that well what type of feedback you get from women being that you're exposing the true nature of women and a lot of women, you know, don't like that because they want women to be seen in a positive light. Well, you know, what's interesting. I kind of get a mixed reaction from women because I'll, I'll, I'll categorize in terms of my different books. Who said again is my book that exposes women's true sexually duplicitous nature. And then The Possibility of Sex is my book that exposes women's true manipulative and materialistic nature. Now, as far as who said again, I never really got, honestly, any real negative feedback from women. If they criticized me, it was always lighthearted. Like, oh, Alan, why'd you have to call us out that we got a kinky, freaky side? Why'd you have to do that? But it would always be lighthearted. But actually, that's the number one of my four audiobooks. That's my best-selling audiobook, based on feedback anyway, uh, from women. A lot of women own, like a lot of women actually play with their pussies listening to those (laughs) (laughs) I'm just keeping it real. They do. A lot of women masturbate to Uthred again. Uh, <laughs> now, Kyrie you know Rose, you know what's yes. gonna make you laugh more? Mm-hmm. 
Men, I've had men write me in and put that shit in. I'd like, but wow, you know, guys write me that. They'll say, you know, guys, whatever they want to say, certain things, they'll preface by saying no homo. Yeah. And guys write me and say, hey man, Alan, man, I just picked up your Ooh, Say It Again audiobook. Man, that's a really good book. Hey man, check this out, man. No homo, man, but and verbal <laughs> seduction stories, man, man. They, that should get my dick hard, man. I, I like start jacking off to them verbal seduction stories you got in there, man. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I know that, I, I, and I know you say something about, and, and I think it, it was in, Ooh, say it again, you talk about women and they do this nervous laughter when something is said that is, makes them uncomfortable. Um, and that I thought about that when I was laughing. However, um, I do want to know, like, you, you kind of seem to be a proponent of, uh, I guess, self-pleasure because... I know in your, the video you did, was it on the Boris, on Boris Kojo, mm -hmm. um, you were talking, you were kind of advocating for women doing that, I guess, in the presence of their partner or their man? Well, I, I don't know if I would say I was advocating for it, mm -hmm. but I, I just stated a fact that I have, what I was talking about in that video, because a lot of people were saying Nicole Ari Parker was disrespectful to Boris. And at first I made the argument, I said, actually, I don't think her comments were all that disrespectful. And then I segued into saying, well, shit, under the category of disrespect, I said that I must have contributed to a lot of women disrespecting their husbands, fiancés, and boyfriends, because I've had situations like on my blog talk radio show and on the erotic conversationalist where I had women playing with their pussies with the, not only their husband in the house, but in the same room, there's been at least seven, eight, nine times I've had that happen where I've had a woman playing with her pussy while she's listening. Was like, I give you one quick story. Um, well, this one on air. So this story a little different because this one on air. But I have had it happen a lot of times on air. But one time this woman called into my show on Blog Talk Radio and she was like, just gassing me up. She was like, Alan, I love your show. I love listening to you. And then I kind of lightheartedly said, I said, you love listening to my show because I get your pussy wet, don't I? And she giggled. She said, you're so bad. I said, no, tell me the truth. She said, yeah, you do. You do. I said, say it again. She said, you get my pussy real wet. I said, say it again. She said, you get my pussy real wet. So if you've ever been on Blog Talk Radio, you know, when people call in, you can see that number. Now, usually 99% of the time, if I called somebody, I would let them know that, hey, I have your number. Is it okay for me to call you? And they would either say yay or nay. This one, I decided to be bold. I wrote down her number. And then as soon as the show ended, I called her. And I said, I want to hear you play with your pussy. And she, she started whispering. She said, no, I can't. I said, why can't you? She said, well, for starters, my husband is right here. And I think she thought I was going to say, oh, okay, my bad. I'll hang up. But I'm a bold motherfucker. So I said, okay, put him on the phone. And she said, are you serious? I said, put him on the phone. Then she hesitated. Then she put him on the phone. He's like, what's up? I said, you know who this is? Wow. And he started laughing. He said, I think I do. Is this that guy who hosts that show on Blog Talk Radio that my wife was just listening to? I said, yeah, man, it's Alan Roger Curry, man. I I don't like to mince words or be full of shit, so I'm going to just get to the point, man. I got your wife's pussy wet tonight. I know that, and she told me that. 
And oh he, my God. he started laughing. He, now he could have got angry, like some brothers might get, but he actually laughed. He started laughing, real loud. He said, I heard you was a trip. I heard you was a trip, but I didn't know you was this much of a trip. I said, Yeah, bro, your wife's pussy is dripping wet. And here's what I want to do I want to hear her play with her pussy, but I'm going to have her do it in a manner that's going to benefit you. I'm going to get her pussy dripping wet. And then when I get at her at her highest point, I'm going to exit off the phone. Then I want you to fuck her like she stole money from you. You gang? And then he laughed again. He said, hey, man, fuck it, man. I'm all for new things. Fuck it. He said, it seems like you got that type of influence over my wife already anyway. I said, yeah, I do. So sure enough, I made her play with her pussy. He was right there. So, Oh, wow. And I right before I was about to make her come, I said, go get this pussy to your husband. Let him fuck the shit out of you. I'm out. And then I just hung up the phone. So what I wanted to ask you, would you have considered that man? Um, well, let me let's just kind of get into this. I noticed that you are um, you. Would you consider yourself a dominant? You're understatement. OK, <laughs> um, for everybody who doesn't know, dominant is part of the BDSM community. And so you have um, two subsections or two sections. I, I don't know. because. I, I tell you, I'll tell it real quick and then I'll let you ask the question. Yeah, there's four sexual personalities in the world of BDSM. There's it's known as a BDSM dominant or also known as a top. Then on the exact opposite end, there's a BDSM submissive or a BDSM bottom. The, both of those two are always that way, regardless of partner. So if you're a BDSM dominant, you're always the erotically dominant partner. If you're a BDSM submissive, you're always a submissive partner. Then there's two in the middle that kind of go both ways. One is a switch and one is a flexible or what's also known as a versatile. Uh, a switch would be, I'm going to use you ladies as examples. If Sister George, say, had two lovers, and let's call one Michael and one Joe. If, if with Joe, you were always submissive, but with Michael, you were always dominant, that would make you a switch. When you're a switch, you're always one way with one partner, but you're always a different way with a different partner. Whereas if Concrete Rose was in a relationship with a guy named David, and like two-thirds of the time, David dominated her, but one-third time she dominated him, that would make both of them what's known as a flexible or versatile. That means they both go both ways. They're both sometimes dominant, sometimes submissive with each other. So those are your four personalities. Okay. Um, would you consider, like in your opinion, and it's just as your opinion, would you consider most men um, subs these days? There's a lot of men who are subs. A lot of men who are subs. A lot of them probably won't come out publicly admitted, but there's a lot of men who are subs, or if not subs, flexibles or switches. Um, like I remember I used to, my last nine to five job, I used to work at a university. I was a head of a mentoring program. And it shows you can't judge a book by its cover. I had this one mentee. He was a non-traditional student, meaning he was older. He wasn't like traditional college age. He was like in his early to mid thirties. Now, if I showed you a picture of this brother, you would never think he was a son. I mean, he looked like he used to play college football. He was he was buff. He looked 
physically, he looked very masculine, had a beard, just looked masculine, had a deep, resonant voice. But one day we got to talking about BDSM, and he said, Mr. Curry, I'm going to tell you something that's probably going to blow you away. I said, what's that? He said, with the women I deal with, he said, I'm actually a sub. And I, I kind of laughed. I was basically like, get the fuck out. He said, no, I'm very serious. He said, I, I don't get anything out of dominating women. He said, that doesn't arouse me. He said, I love for a woman to treat me like I'm her bitch. And I said, you, you look like you're serious. He said, I'm very serious. He said, that's what gets me off. He said, sex is all about what gets you off. He said, I get off on my girlfriends treating me like I'm their bitch. And I was like, wow. And me and a few other guys that were the conversation, we just was like, wow. Because most, most women and men would have the stereotype that if a guy is going to be a sub, that he looks like he's kind of a feminine or just looks like he's soft, kind of wimpy looking or some of that nature. But again, this brother physically was built like a college football linebacker. His voice was totally masculine, <laughs> had the beard, shaving head. But he was like, I like for women to treat me like a bitch. And I was like, hey, man, whatever floats your boat. One other time along those same lines, I remember a few years ago, there was this woman I used to deal with, and we were talking about it. And I made the same wrong assumption. I was saying how I think the only men who will be subs are guys, you know, basically who are guys who are kind of semi-feminine or wimpy. And this woman I was talking to at the time, she said, no, nah, that's not true. And then she named some guys that she had already told me about. So she said, you remember that guy I told you about named Ralph? I said, yeah, I remember Ralph. She said, first of all, I'm going to go ahead and send you a picture of Ralph. So she sent me a picture of Ralph through email. And again, this guy, he was a really masculine looking dude. Looked like he could whoop a lot of dudes ass. She said, I'm about to call him on three-way. Put your phone on mute and I'm going to show you how I dominate him. Sure enough, she called him. He had this like deep voice. He's like, yeah, what's up, baby? And she was like, no, don't call me baby. Call me mama. Say hello, mama. He was like, hello, mama. He was like, she was like, you still my bitch, aren't you? He was like, of course, mama, I'm your bitch. She was like, I just wanted to call. Make sure you steal my bitch. You'll do anything for me, won't you? You'll do anything for mama. He was like, yeah, I'll do anything for you, mama, because I'm your bitch. And then, then they ended the conversation. She was like, see, Alan, told you. Don't be don't be judging men by how they look physically. Wow. <laughs> we have between a sub and a simp. Mm. A simp? Well, you can say, <laughs> I'll say this. Simps, they're similar, but at the same time, different. Now, speaking of that word, I'm glad you brought that word up. Because I'm going to tell you something. If there's one thing that irritates me about a lot of young brothers on YouTube is how they've distorted that term. Because, like, you get some young brothers on YouTube, they'll call a guy who's a prolific womanizer a simp, which is ridiculous. That's, that's pretty much like an oxymoron. You can't be a prolific womanizer and be a fucking simp. A simp, here's the two legitimate definitions of a simp. A simp is either A, a guy who spends a lot of time with women, 
in a non-physical, non-sexual way and or spends a lot of money on women, but he ain't getting no pussy. That's the number one legitimate definition of a simp is when you're spending a lot of time with a woman and spending a lot of warm money on a woman, but she ain't even gave you no, she ain't sucked your dick yet. She ain't getting you no pussy. She, in some case, she ain't even tongue kiss you yet. That's the first legitimate definition of a simp. Second definition of a simp, and this would relate to your question, Concrete Rose, would be a man who is married or in a long-term relationship with a woman, but it's obvious to everyone that the man's wife, fiance, or girlfriend, quote unquote, wears the pants in the marriage or relationship. She's like the dominant partner. She bosses him around all the time. She disrespects him. She verbally emasculates him and he takes it. He tolerates it. That's the second legitimate definition of a simp. All these other definitions that are floating around on YouTube of what is a simp, if it ain't similar to those two definitions, then as far as I'm concerned, it's not a legitimate definition of a simp. It's bullshit. Well, that leads me into my next Yeah. Question. Um, so there has been a lot of talk around the manosphere about game and the definitions of game, um, what game should be used for. What, can you give us a roundabout definition of what you think game is? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a very subjective term, and that's a good question, uh, Concrete Rose. Um, matter of fact, both of you. Well, that was Danny. Oh, that was Danny. Okay, I'm sorry. Danny, both of you ladies are full of good questions tonight, and I like that. Um, but here's a general definition of game. Game, generally speaking, is simply anything that helps enhance your chances of getting the quality of women you want in bed and or the quantity of women you want in bed. So that's what I would call the simple general definition of game is anything that helps enhance your ability to get the quality of women you want in bed and or the quantity of women you want in bed. And there's two general categories of game, which would be the first two general categories is verbal and nonverbal. Verbal game and nonverbal game. Like I deal primarily with verbal game. And then within that category, there's two subcategories. There's direct verbal game and indirect verbal game. And then for nonverbal game, an example of nonverbal game would be simply like what's known as looks game or body game. Like my fellow dating advisor named Ron Wills, he does a lot of videos on body game. That would be an example of nonverbal game oh. is, is body game. Even uh, if you do a lot of tricking, the, the nickname for that, the nickname for tricking is money game. Mm. Money game. So, yeah, there's, so there's first there's verbal and nonverbal. And then within the verbal category, there's direct verbal game and indirect verbal game. Okay. I have a, I have a question. Let me ask really, really quick. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Danny, was your question related to game? Because mine yeah, is going to take it away from the topic. If so, go ahead, and then I'll okay. ask mine. So now that you've given your definitions of game, um, now we hear a lot of men in the manosphere talking about Western culture and the women from Western culture not being very submissive or feminine, and that the culture is basically ruined, right? 
Um, they say when you go over to um, other countries, um, the women are more attractive, more submissive, um, more cooperative. They say that game isn't needed. What do you say about that? Bullshit. Okay. <laughs> Here's the reality. Um, in this country, and I've talked to many women on this issue, so I know how women really feel about this. Mm-hmm. See, we are no longer living in a generation where you're going to have a high percentage of men that are considered what was traditionally known as the breadwinners. The breadwinners. Women work. Many are working in some faction of corporate America. So without getting too lengthy, when you have a generation of women that have grown up working in corporate America and earning their own money and, 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 and being promoted to the position of supervisor, district manager, a woman will be eaten alive if she goes in corporate America being all feminine and submissive. So she just, either intentionally or unintentionally, she just naturally is going to adopt some some degree of masculine traits. Like some women I know personally that I went to high school with, college with, and know otherwise. That's one of the dilemmas for them. A lot of women will say to me, Alan, I'm having a hard time learning how to turn off my corporate America persona when I get home. So it ain't got nothing to do with geography. It has to do with a woman is always going to be more likely to be ultra feminine and ultra submissive when she's not out there in the man's working world. Mm, I agree with that. You know, if she is working, she's in some kind of field that's dominated by women, maybe like a, I don't know, a nursery school teacher or something. But if a woman's working for a Fortune 500 company and she's high on the corporate ladder and you're expecting her to be Miss Feminine and Miss Submissive, you're being, you're being at minimum unrealistic and at maximum you're being delusional. Like to bring in my fiance, for example. My fiance doesn't have a nine, nine to five job. My fiance works for me. Mm-hmm. The only man she deals with on a day-to-day basis is mm. me. So that helps her remain in her femininity. There you go. Okay. I, but- I do have, I, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. What were you going to ask, Danny? Go ahead. Well, because uh, this is what my, my, my thing was. And, you know, just to kind of um, play devil's advocate, because I hear a lot of men talking about this. Um, and then I hear men say, well, uh, women in other countries have jobs, but they, the men still get femininity from the women. Um, the men don't have to go out of their way. They don't have to do anything to get femininity, but just be them. And so when they talk about Western culture, they say, you got to play these games. You got to be this person or you have to spit this way or you have to trick or you have to do this, that, and the third. When they say they go to other countries, they say these things come naturally no, and it's not a problem. It's bullshit. So okay. here's one of the benefits of being an internationally renowned dating coach. I'm well known in every major country of the world. I have clients from every major country in the world. If what you're saying you heard was true, then I wouldn't have the male clients that I have from all these major countries telling me about the challenges they have with women. I have men, for example, from the United Kingdom 
that express the same challenges with women that men here in the United States do. I have men from Germany that express the same challenges with women that men here in the United States do. I have men from China, Japan, uh, Australia, Mexico, Canada, the list goes on. So I know as a dating coach for over 20 years that what a lot of these men are saying on YouTube is bullshit. See, here's, here's what a lot of men are conflating. You got a lot of men who say might take a trip to the Dominican Republic or take a trip to Rio de Janeiro and they pull out those U.S. dollars and those women act feminine and submissive and they, they'll say, hey, all Brazilian women are more feminine and submissive or all women in the Dominican mm. Republic are more feminine. No, they're not. They're, they're submissive to the U.S. dollar. They yeah, yeah, yeah. They submissive to the money. See, here's where men need to keep shit real and quit being delusional. There's a lot of women that will... It's a difference between a woman being genuinely submissive and a woman putting on a submissive performance. Big difference. And without getting too lengthy, anytime you promote yourself as Mr. Uh, Big Dollars, you know, Mr. Sugar Daddy, you're going to get a lot of women to put on a submissive performance for you. The tr you want to know the true test of if a woman is truly submitting to you? Mm -hmm. Is when you broke, unemployed, you ain't spending mm -hmm. no money on a woman, and that woman's still submissive to you. Like, I've had somewhat toot my horn. I've had instances of my life where I give one example. When I lived in Los Angeles one time, I had this woman who was a, a very wealthy doctor, lived in Beverly Hills. I never spent $5 on her. Everything to do with money, she was the one spending money on me. But yet she was very submissive to me. I dominated the shit out of her. I fucked her and her sister. Wow. I do have a question for you since we're back to, since we're talking about this topic specifically. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on Black love? Uh, I mean, anybody who listens to our um, channel knows that, you know, I'm an advocate for it. I do um, know that I've heard you on different panels. And I, I think that, you know, you're an equal opportunist, but I do want to know what your direct thoughts are, are on, uh, on Black love. Before you answer that, let me send a, a very special shout out to Sasha Malone for the Cash App. Thank you so much. Um, I mean, I don't know if I understand. My thoughts on Black yeah, Love? Yeah, first of all, do you like, believe what, in is it? Is it, is it possible or impossible? Or what, what, what do you mean? Well, um, do you believe in it? Do you think that it's beneficial? Is it something that you aspire to have? Do, do you think, you know, not see a benefit in it? Um, no, concrete Rose, this, this is going to be my first criticism of it. Uh-huh. You're asking me, do I believe in Black Love? But you know I'm engaged to be married to a sister. Right, right, right. Absolutely. But I didn't know... If you know if you're an equal opportunist and it just so happened that you know that's the person who you fell in love with but if it was you know Karen or Becky whomever um it would have been just as was your preference black women oh for long-term relationships always matter of fact okay I've only date for long-term like you know emotionally profound type relationships my relationships have only been with black women now casual sex is where I've been all over I've <laughs> I've fucked 
at least a handful of women from pretty much every race and ethnicity on earth for casual sex. But for long-term, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend type relationships, all my relationships have been with sisters. Okay, that's interesting. Thank you. I think that answers my question. I have one final question for you, though. This is off topic, and um, I just want to know, I know that you've had, like, some beef with um, Obsidian, and there was a tiff between you and O'Shea, and um, I just want to know if there is a specific reason why you have, why you feel that you've had so much beef with guys within the manosphere. Um, where do you think that's coming from or what's drawing the, the tension between you and some of the men in the manosphere? Well, part of it is related to that question you just asked me. See, there's a lot of brothers on YouTube that have a passionate dislike for sisters. Mm-hmm. Or if it's not a genuine passionate dislike for sisters, at minimum, they attract a lot of views to their videos, a lot of subscribers to their channel, and a lot of Patreon subscribers talking about the animosity between black men and black women. So let's go with the second option. If you're a guy that attracts a lot of views talking about how black men and black women don't get along and how they'll never make it in a marriage, are you ever going to be friendly towards a guy who says that that's bullshit? Good point. That's, that's messing with your money. You know, because see, so some of these guys, if only from a business end, they're never going to co-sign what they did that black men and black women can get along and live happily ever after because that's going to fuck with their money. People are not going to pay much attention to their views. They're not, I mean, give them the views and give them the subscribers and all that. So some of it is contrived. Some of these guys, there's one category of guys, I think behind the scenes, they don't really have a dislike for sisters, but they pretend to be publicly in order to attract more people to their channel. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of brothers who do nothing but dog our sisters, but they're in a relationship with a sister. Make that make sense. Facts. I mean, that, that, that to me, that lets you know right there they're full of shit. And then for the guys who do uh, have a passionate disdain for sisters, they ain't going to never like a brother like me because I've never had a disdain towards sisters, ever. Well, your experience is different. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't like to hear that. (laughs) A lot of the men, you know, they, they can't. You know, they've struggled. They, like, admittedly said they couldn't get a date. Women would look right past them, wouldn't give them the time of day. You know, so... And, but this is another thing that I was curious about. Um, people say men like Alan Roger Curry have kind of ruined the dating game um, because of the games and the things that, oh. uh, that that they're able to do that a lot of other men aren't able to do. What do you think about that, ARC? That I've ruined the game? Well, if you have women that are easily um, seduced and mm-hmm they're sleeping with the same men um, that's able to do these things, right? And then you have a um, of men who aren't able to do these things but are looking for women to settle down with. But these women t- that they want to settle down with have been kind of ran through by the guys with swag game, what have you. Um, they're saying that uh, pickup artists, dating coaches have kind of ruined the game. What do you think about that? 
Well, I don't know. I, I can't. Well, number one, I can't agree with that. I mean, I didn't ruin. Now, I've had guys tell me I've personally ruined some things in another aspect that's different from what you just described. But as far here's just the reality, and I'm sure you ladies by now, since you guys keep up with the manosphere, you're familiar with what's known as the 80-20 rule theory. Or no. I do. Yes, I'm familiar. Absolutely. Okay. Well, the essence of that is that, and see, a lot of guys use that. They distort it and misinterpret it. Really, that has more to do with casual sex than long-term relationships. A lot of guys think it has to do with both. But it has more, much more to do with casual sex. Without getting too lengthy, too academic, what it essentially asserts, that rule theory asserts, is that there's only about 20% of men in society that will able be able to engage in casual sex with a number of women without spending time with those women significantly, not in a non-sexual way, and without spending any money on them. Most men in society, if they engage in casual sex, they're gonna have to spend money on them, i.e. be a trick or a sugar daddy, um, they're going to have to spend a lot of time with the woman non-sexually, you know, and whatever else. And see, men are very egotistical, very territorial, and and very jealous in this area. And in, in, in simple terms, here's how men are. Let's say I went to college with two women named Lisa and Tiffany, and I fucked both Lisa and Tiffany casually. And each of them leave college and they get engaged to two guys. And those guys might be really into to, to Lisa and Tiffany until they find out that I fucked both of those women without being their boyfriend. Mm. Most of them guys, them two guys, more than likely, them two guys gonna have a reaction to that. They're going to be like, oh, I ain't going to marry you now. And the women will be like, why not? Because you fucked that nigga Alan Roger Curry. And he wasn't even your boyfriend. You fucked that nigga. Why you fucked that nigga? You fucked him. So I ain't going to... Because see, guys, this is how guys think. Guys have a thing where... If... Well, I'll just simply say... If, if, if they knew that I was there... If I was both of those women ex-boyfriend... That's not going to bother them as much. Why? Because I put in the same investment of time non-sexually as they did. I probably spent the same amount of money on these women that they have up to this point. But here's where men get really jealous and really envious and really hateful is if, say, they spent a lot of time with Lisa or Linda, Tiffany, whoever, non-sexually taking out on dates and stuff, treating her to meals. And then they find out a brother like me, all I did was talk shit in their ear and I got my dick sucked and was able to fuck them. They not going to like me. They going to resent me as well as the woman who they were in a relationship or, or almost in a relationship with. They're going to resent her. They're going to call her a hoe. They're going to be like, oh, bitch, I thought you was a good girl. You a hoe. And she's going to be like, why am I a hoe? Because you fucked that nigga Alan Roger Curry. He didn't even take you out on a one dinner date. He didn't spend $10 on your ass. I done spent like $500 on your ass. But you fuck this nigga for free? 
So, yeah, going back to that original question, mess up game, that's why you get a lot of animosity. Like, people think on YouTube is just animosity between men and women, but there's really a high as much, if not sometimes more animosity between men and men. Because a lot of men, they don't like knowing about a brother like me being able to fuck women quicker than they did, less expensively than they did, without spending time with that woman non-sexually like they had to. They don't like that. So they hate on a brother like me. They be like, oh, man, fuck that nigga, man. That old fuck boy, motherfucker, man, fuck that nigga. That's where that comes from, because they know, and that was before the internet. I remember when I was like, in, you know, when I was younger, like say in college or in my 20s, even before they had been on the internet, guys was like that. Guys, that's just general nature of a lot of guys. There's exceptions, of course, but generally speaking, guys hate when they hear that another guy was able to get for them, what they could only get pussy from that woman, being that woman's boyfriend, fiance, or husband, they don't like knowing that that woman gave her pussy to another guy as just a fuck buddy. They don't like that. Mm. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, um, shout out to Doug for the cash app. Thank you so much, Doug. We wanted to know if you have a little bit of time so we can open it up for a few questions from ladies only. Um, if you have time, Alan. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I got, I say minimum. I got another 40 minutes to rock with you guys. If not a little bit longer. Okay. So yeah. um, and we're, we're just asking for the ladies to come up ladies only questions from ladies only. So if any of the ladies in the chat have questions, feel free to come up and join us. Um, yeah. I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Concrete, because it was something else that I wanted to ask him. I'm looking through the notes, honey. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing in mine. And I, I had a question. I can't remember what it was about. I think it was about the Madonna whore complex, but I can't find it in my notes. <laughs> and I'm kind of out of order now. Well, it's funny you would bring that up, though. That relates to almost everything I was just saying in my last commentary. Mm. Is the Madonna whore? Yeah, complex. that's what made me think of it. Yeah, Sigmund yeah. Freud, uh, for those in the chat room who might be ignorant, I think most people are generally familiar, but there might be some people in the chat room. But in the 19th century, there, there's a legendary psychologist named Dr. Sigmund Freud. And one of his theories and assertions was the Madonna whore complex. And he basically asserted that that was always going to, to one degree or another, negatively affect the way men interact with women sexually. Because what he basically proposed is that he said, the first woman that a man admires and respects, with the exception of if he had some kind of dysfunctional relationship with his mother, is his mother. Because you, you typically live with your mother for 16, 17, 18 years minimum. Mm -hmm. And he basically said for, for just about all men, a man's mother, or in some cases say their stepmother, that's their first standard. Their standard for how they judge all other women is their mother. And again, it could be exceptions in certain cases. It could be a stepmother, an aunt, a grandmother, whatever. But let's just say generally your mother. And what he basically went on to say is that 
Most men look until they get jolted by some kind of incident or something. Most men look at their mother as the ultimate good girl, the ultimate good girl. They don't even like to think about their biological fathers having sex with their mother because most men's mother is the ultimate good girl. So with their mother, they fall in love with all her non-sexual attributes. But then when they get older and start having sexual desires, what they'll say in a matter of speaking is, I want my wife to be just like my mother. I want her to represent the best qualities of my mother. But obviously, I don't want to fuck my mother. So for sexual purposes, I got to find some other woman who's almost the antithesis of my mother. Basically, just a down and dirty slut. So he proposed, Sigmund Freud, that this is why most men, a lot of married men have, say, a mistress or a side piece. is because, in a nutshell, they want their girlfriend, fiance, or wife to be their personal good girl. They want her to be the good girl in their life. And then they want a woman on the side to be their kinky slut, kinky freak in their life. You know, and I've asked a lot of men um, questions, especially um, men that I know that are um, kind of like known cheaters. Are there things that you would do with your wife that you wouldn't do with or or things that you wouldn't do with your wife that you would do with another woman? Quite a few men said yes. And oh, I, thought, I, I would expect that. I would expect yeah, that. It, it was so weird to me because I'm saying, you know, well, and I would say that I probably asked these types of questions. Yeah, I have some friends and frat brothers who have opened up to me over the years. They'll say that. They'll say, uh, like, I, let's say I might have a friend or frat brother that is married, but he regularly or semi-regularly cheats on his wife. And sometimes I'll ask them some pointed, straightforward questions. Basically, I'll be like, dude, why you got all these side pieces, man? And when first thing I say, cuz man, that's that's how I get my freak on. That's how I get my freak on. And I'll be like, well, what about you with your wife? And they'll start frowning. They'll be like, nah, bro. Nah, uh uh-uh. I'll be like, what do you mean? They'll be like, nah, man, I can't be real freaky with my wife, man. That's my wife, man. That's the mother to my children, man. I can't I can't be that way with my wife, man. Like, there's a on the quick side of, there's a lighthearted scene related to this. There's this movie with Robert De Niro and Billy Crystal called uh, Analyze This. It's about this mafia mobster played by De Niro who almost forces this psychiatrist and therapist to become his personal shrink played by Billy Crystal. And so Billy Crystal in one scene, he says, okay, if I'm going to go ahead and be your shrink, your personal therapist, I need to ask you some questions so I can find out more about you. So for starters, tell me about your day yesterday. And De Niro's like, yeah, I went to the cleaners. I picked up my clothes. I did this. I did that. And then at one point he says, yeah, I went over to my mistress place. She sucked my dick. And then, and Billy Chris says, hold up, hold up. Your mistress sucked gay, performed oral sex on you? He's like, yeah. He's like, but you're married. Why didn't you have your wife do that? And De Niro Starts looking like he's going to punch Billy Crystal in the jaw. He gets like real angry. And he's like, hey, if you ever talk about the mother of my children in that disgusting manner, I will pop you right here. You understand that? I will pop you right here. Billy Crystal's like, basically like, 
What are you talking about? That's what a wife is for. Is to satisfy. He's like, hey, hey, I warned you. And he did it in a lighthearted way, but that's men who suffer from the Madonna horror complex. That's how they really feel. Their attitude is my wife is my good girl. I don't want to do really kinky, like come on her face and shit like that. I don't want to do that with my wife and then watch her playing with my kids on Thanksgiving. I don't want that shit. That's why I got a bitch on the side for her is to do all that nasty shit. But here's the problem. And this is where a lot of guys set themselves up to be cheated on. They'll ignore their, their wives' kinky side to the point where the wife is like, well, shit, I want some kinky sex. And if I can't get it from my husband, I'm going to get it from somebody. And on the real, sad to say, over the years, I've had at least a handful of the girlfriends and wives of some of my closest friends tell that to me. Almost with an underlying hint, like, Alan, this puts me wow. in yours if you want it. <laughs> now, I never took money because, you know, these were my boys. But I literally had women give me a message, if only a subtle message, like, Alan, my husband, who is your friend, he ain't kicky enough for me. So if you want to come hit this pussy and, and show me so I can unleash my kinky side, it's here for you. Well, we'll like to we like to welcome Sasha Malone to the panel. Hey, Sasha. Hey, Sasha. Hello, ladies. Hello, Mr. Curry. Congratulations on your baby and your new engagement. Why, thank you, Sasha. I very much appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, I did have a question. So like those terms that are named in your book, you know, like the wholesome pretender and all that stuff. I don't really I haven't read your book, but that's kind of like the one that sticks out in my mind, the wholesome pretender. Could these terms be used in reverse as far as men being those ways? Kind of have yes, have no. I actually wrote a book called the it's simply called Upfront and Straightforward. Let the manipulative game players know what you're really thinking. And I kind of, if only briefly touched on that. And I basically said some of my archetypes that I use on women cannot, while at least one would, but it would be, it would have a totally different definition. And that would be manipulative time waster. A man can be a manipulative time waster, but it's going to be totally different on the male end than the female end. For example, when a woman's a manipulative time waster, as defined by my books, that means, okay, I'll use Sasha as an example. If I was interacting with Sasha and she was giving me the impression that at some point in the near future, we were going to end up fucking, when in reality, she had no plans on having sex with me, but she just wanted to take advantage of my flattering and entertaining personality or some aspect of my financial generosity. But she really had no plans of having sex with me. And then I found out, I don't know, two weeks later, three weeks later, a month later, two months later that she's never, ever going to let me have sex. Then I would brand her a manipulative time waster. Whereas a man is almost just the opposite. A woman is going to look at a man as a manipulative time waster if he gives her the impression that he wants a long-term, emotionally profound, romantic relationship when he really just wanted casual sex, that would be the male version of a manipulative time waster. 
You're wasting that woman's time. Okay. Yeah. So, but man, well, I'll say this. In general, both men and women are sexually duplicitous. So in that respect, I guess I can say a man can be a wholesome pretender just like a woman. Because, yeah, both men and women are sexually duplicitous. What does it mean for those in the chat room, again, who might not be familiar with that term? I mean, anytime you publicly give off the impression that you're prudish or semi-prudish and that you're all about long-term monogamy-oriented relationships, but behind closed doors, you're getting your freak on like a porn star, that means you're sexually duplicitous. Most so, men brag on those things. I can't well, imagine a man. Women. Yeah, there, there's a lot of men. Like I'll give you a classic celebrity example. There was a controversy surrounding this comedic actor. Are, you, are any of you ladies familiar with this comedic actor named Aziz Ansari? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. He got in trouble for that, for the category of sexual debate. What he did, there was this woman who was a fan of his, approached him, I think, at the Oscars. And she said, I'm a big fan, blah, blah, blah. And I guess he was attracted to her. So he said, hey, would you like to go out to dinner with me sometime? And she was like, of course I would, sure. And so he took her out to some nice restaurant, had all this like friendly, gentlemanly conversation. And then when he got her to the crib, though, she ended up writing this article about the date, which tarnished his reputation. But when he got into the crib, she said he turned his personality almost like turned into a total different person. She said he became very physically aggressive. He was extremely horny. He was all about just trying to fuck her casually. And she was totally turned off by that. Now, she, on the positive end, she didn't ever accuse him of doing anything illegal. Like she didn't accuse him of date rape or sexual assault. But if nothing else, she criticized him for being sexually duplicitous. She said, when we were at dinner, he didn't even talk about the subject of sex. He acted like he was this nice, sweet guy, this nice gentleman, you know, the proverbial nice guy. But then when he got me back to his place, he turned into Mr. Kinky Freak. And she was like, I didn't like that. See, That's he was unfortunate, though. A male wholesome pretender. Go ahead. That she was able to ruin his reputation and impact his ability to earn because you know he showed himself to be duplicitous. That that's that's insane. Well, well, here's why that happened. That's a good point. Here, here's why it happened, though. See, he never per se acknowledged this later on, but if you kept up with Aziz Ansari's career, he played off of that nice guy public image and reputation. That's part of what contributed to his success as an actor, his popularity as an actor. Mm. So when she wrote that letter, the reason why it at least momentarily tarnished his career is because it made, it made his original image look disingenuous. It would be like Tom Hanks. Everybody looks at Tom Hanks as the proverbial nice guy and family man. And if a story came out about him being real freaky deaky and cheating on his wife, it would it would it would taint his career because he he sold himself as being a nice guy. Whereas on the flip side, you know, somebody like a Chris Brown or mm -hmm. same thing you know, happened with Bill Cosby. Yeah, exactly. Bill Cosby, excellent example, excellent example. Bill Cosby, 
He made billions off of being Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Clean. You know. Well, I had um, a couple other scenarios that I wanted to see what your opinion was, um, Mr. Curry. Sure. Um, There's a few. Well, I've had some few incidences because I kind of want to know what you call these type of men when they kind of like you you've given them you know as a woman you've given them no indication that you're giving them choosing signs or anything else um and you may be just talking casually just over the phone or texting or whatever and then they get to the point where they're um inviting themselves over to your house um sending you unsolicited, like not really the D pics, but just kind of, you know, pictures, no shirts on, stuff like that. Like, what do you call those kind of guys? Thirsty. <laughs> really? That's thirsty. <laughs> oh, God, that's crazy. I, I thought it was going to be something just was so much more interesting than that. Because you I mean, you guys really act like that? Like, I mean, you no choosing so signs whatsoever than just being, you know, friendly or cordial or anything like that. No, if you guess any, you like dick pics and uh, no, not the DP, not off, and you didn't invite him to, you didn't ask him to, he's doing no, it on his own. Yeah, that's that's a sexually desperate, which is the same thing. It's thirsty in some in some extreme cases. I hate to say it, but you might have a stalker potential stalker on your hand. Okay, that's not cool. Yeah, it's not cool. Um, yeah, um, how do you ladies kind of feel about like guys who t take a lot of pics with their shirt off, um, post a lot of uh, sexually suggestive uh, memes and stuff like that? And to me, they come across as the, the corniest because I'm like, damn, you got to post all this about it. Like every time you turn around, they got, and I mean like nasty memes of like sexual positions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's like over 30. It's and I'm the like, equivalent of the IG model posted up with her, you know, body showing and every, you know, showing everything or twerking every five minutes and with her cheeks out. It's, uh, it's a turn off so, to me. So a lot of, um, a lot of, men that I've actually come in contact with, they know nothing about mode one. And now that I know about mode one, I don't want it any other way because it does, they'll come off creepy. They'll be sending all these mm. unwarranted innuendos and I cannot stand it. I mean, I look at that as like some simp characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. See a lot of guys, they don't have the balls and backbone to be mode one. And it's going to take me back to some concrete roles was asking me about when she said, uh, do you feel like game guys with game ruin it for guys without game? And where I've been attacked, starting with uh, the mid-2000s, I remember I had a speaking engagement in Chicago. Um, and Because his sister, she used to run these, these singles events for upscale brothers and sisters in Chicago. And my cousin had told her at that time it wasn't a paperback yet, it was just an ebook. My cousin had told her about my ebook. So she approached me at this party and she said, So you're Alan Roger Curry? I said, Yeah, in the flesh. She said, I get I got a bone to pick with you. I said, What bone you got to pick with me, sister? She said, I heard you wrote some book that teaches men how to get a lot of pussy. 
I think that is just so shallow and superficial. I said, is that right? She said, yeah. I said, well, check this out. I said, my book is more layered than that. It's 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 much more profound than that. She said, oh, really? So I, I gave her a challenge. I said, I'm going to give you a free complimentary copy of my ebook. I want you to take the next three to four weeks to read it. If after you read it, you feel like it's, it's, it's just a shallow book about being a shallow, superficial man, I say, you have my permission to dog out me and my book on your website, because she had this website for her singles events. I said, but if you think it's deeper than that, you got to help me promote it. So again, I gave her three to four weeks. She ended up reading it in two nights and loved it. So she invited me to do this speaking presentation. And ended up at the speaking presentation, it ended up being approximately 40 sisters and about 25 brothers. Now, going into the speaking engagement, for whatever reason, I anticipated having 95% of the men support me and be behind my more one approach. At least one third to one half the women being critical of it. Do you know it was just the opposite? Like probably 95%, if not even more, after I get finished my speaking presentation, the women love the more one approach. So a few of them have beef specifically just with language issues. They didn't like the idea of because a lot of my examples had me being very X-rated. That's what I call Mo One Hardcore. So I did have some women criticize the language, but as far as just being upfront and straightforwardly honest from the get-go about your true desires, interests, and intentions, the women loved it. But at least one-third of the guys came to me afterwards saying stuff like, man, you're going to fuck up the game, man. What's with this honesty shit, man? You're going to fuck up the game, man. And they weren't lighthearted about it. There's only one or two guys that said it lightheartedly, but... A lot of guys, they said, like, in a real serious, pretty much me. Like, me and one dude, we almost got into a fight over this shit, over this difference of it. He's like, man, he's like, man, I'm one of the top pimps and players in Chicago, man. And this Mo one shit, man, you fucking up the game, man. You fucking up the game. The reason why I get women in bed is because I run game on these hoes, man. I take them by surprise, man. I make them feel like I'm falling in love with their ass, man. And then I get that pussy and then I just dump their ass. And I said, then you ain't a player then, motherfucker. I said, you a coward. And this was a big nigga, too. <laughs> about 6'5", but I looked up dead and I, I said, man, you ain't no pimp. You ain't no player. I said, you a coward running that pump and dump shit. I said, that's, some, that's only a coward would do that shit. You ain't got no game. And, you know, we, things got tense to the point where people had to get between us and shit. But, yeah, man, I don't respect no motherfucker that that that, that caught, prides himself on being some top-notch ladies' man or top-notch womanizer, but, but he got to resort to indirect pump-and-dump game. That shit's weak to me. And I know a lot of men disagree with me, and that's their choice to disagree with me. <laughs> that shit's weak to me. I would have to agree. I do have a final question for you. Um, in reference to your, you know, I know that you're a dating coach and an author, and you've also done some other things. Um, what led you to being a dating coach? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I feel like I touched on it, but maybe I didn't. Anyway, well, uh, I don't think I caught that. Like if you said exactly what led you to. Okay. Well, specifically a dating coach. Well, I say both dating coach and author. Well, again, to 
kind of repeat something I said earlier. It started my college years. My father, I mean, my, my brother, my older brother, he witnessed a lot of my mole one seductions. And he was the first one to suggest I put it on paper. This was like in 1986. And I blew him off. I said, man, I ain't trying to put this on paper. This is for me. You know, at the time, I wasn't trying to share my thoughts and knowledge and wisdom and insight with other dudes. I was all about it benefiting me. And literally for the next nine years, he kept bugging me like, dude, mm -hmm. you need to help out other guys with this Mo One stuff. I think you can help out. I genuinely believe you can help out a lot of other guys with this unique approach you have. And I basically kept saying that because at the time I was pursuing a career in the entertainment industry and I wasn't really thinking about trying to be no. Because, so what happened was I first put it down on paper in 1990. That's when I outlined my four molds, which was mold one, mold two, mold three, and mold four. Then from there, in 1995, I, I, I wrote my first what I'll call pamphlet. It was like a 30-page pamphlet. And my brother gave it out to some guys who were working for him in San Diego. And then in, in May of 1999, that's when I made my first Mo One ebook available on the internet. And um, so and your then, decision to be an author was so that was decision to be an author. And then the dating coach came around 2005. It came around the time Hitch came out because what happened? The movie Hitch with Will Smith came out, oh. and my brother was like, he just gave me this look, like, bruh, bruh. Bro, and I was like, what? He's like, dude, that's you, man. You need to be a real-life hitch, man, because you technically, you, you already doing that, man. He was like, you need to be a dating coach, man. And I thought about it. I said, what the heck? And then, so, yeah, I started marking myself as a, so I became, you could say, officially an author in 1999. And I want to say, I'd say 2006 was when I officially marketed myself as a dating coach. Interesting. Um, uh, go ahead, then. Had a um, question. Um, she's not able to come back into the uh, onto the panel, but she wanted to know what could she say to the guys that do the things that she described. Okay, first of all, I didn't. I didn't run poor Sasha away, did I? You probably did with all that dirty talk. <laughs> Because I noticed as soon as, within about 10 seconds after they used the word pussy, I saw her drop. I said, oh, shit. Time to go. I can't even laugh too loud. I can't even laugh too long. Y'all you know? should have told her I got a nasty mouth. But uh, <laughs> no, what, what's a little sweet? She sounds so sweet. What, what, what is Sasha going to ask now? Um, what could she say to the guys who do the things that she described? Like, I guess, um, with the sending her the pics and the shirts off and, you know, um, well, what's, well, first I would have to know what is her objective with these guys? I mean, she looking for, she don't like it. Cause I mean, uh, is she looking for a platonic friend? She's not looking to interact with these guys at all. Uh, I start with, if she's, if she's not looking to interact with these guys at all, it's simple. She needs to, be upfront and saying, "Hey, I ain't, I ain't feeling you that way. I don't look at you like it's some kind of potential lover of mine." Now, secondly, 
if she enjoys them as a friend, but she doesn't, she's not attracted to them in any type of romantic or strictly sexual manner. She needs to be more one. She needs to say, hey, Fred, I think you and I have some good conversations, but I got to just be upfront with you. I don't look at you as a future boyfriend of mine or any type of, you know, even a casual sex lover of mine. I would, I would ideally like for us to maintain a friendship, but if you don't want to do that, I understand. And then the final thing is, let's say she is interested in potentially dating the guy, but she's not interested in having casual sex with him. She can say, Hey, you know, I find you attractive. I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy being around you. And I do want to see, spend some time with you to see if we have the type of chemistry that could lead to us having a very mutually gratifying relationship. But I got to let you know up front, I'm not trying to be like just your casual lover or your fuck buddy. I'm, that's not my thing. That's not my cup of tea. I'm not interested in that. And then take it from there. Hmm. Okay. I have well, a question for you. What would you say um, has changed the most about dating since you entered the game versus you settling down about to have a baby? What would you say has changed the most about the game? <laughs> Shit. The, the manipulative head games are, uh, are at an all-time high. Uh, and um, just a, a, a general distrust of each other. A lot of men don't trust the character of women. Most men are true. on guard and they think that women are trying to exploit them for something and take advantage of them for something. And, and women feel the same way. And both of them, you could say to a large degree, rightfully so. Men, yeah. I'll start with men. Men are a right to feel that way in many ways because there are a lot of women out here that are not genuinely interested in the guys they deal with. They just want to exploit them for their financial resources, mm -hmm. their material. It's being promoted now. And, and if at bare minimum, they want to exploit them for their non-sexual time, attention, and companionship, like flattering attention, entertaining conversations. So I understand why a lot of men are bitter and distrustful. Then on the flip side, I understand women because you got guys out here openly promoting this indirect pump and dump game. And most women of quality, they don't want to be pumped and dumped. Even the ones who are interested in having casual sex, they don't want to be pumped and dumped. They want it to be something they mutually agreed to. And that's why I'm more one. I don't want to have casual sex with a woman who doesn't want to have casual sex. I don't okay. want to trick a woman into having casual sex. So, so glad you said that because that was a question I was writing down last night, fell asleep, forgot the question, couldn't remember it for anything. I'm so glad you said that. Um, even when you tell women that you um, basically want a casual sex relationship with them, when you insert into that, do women usually stick to that mode? Because from and from my own experience, I've um I've been in situations where I've said that I, I I wanted something casual, but as time progressed, I ended up wanting something more, and I don't really realize. Well, I really don't think that I was being honest with myself. Yeah, women will do that if they think but the I'm man curious, doesn't like want how, a relationship. How often, yeah, how often did you run into that? 
Basically, you're saying women catching feelings. Yes. Basically. This is how I see it. This is how it's played out for me, and I would say it plays out for a lot of guys. One thing I'm known for in the manosphere is always distinguishing between the appeal of a man and woman's sexual attention and companionship versus their non-sexual attention and companionship. And on a quick side note, a lot of people have tried to duplicate that from me and imitate it and copycat, but that's another story for another day. But um, here's where I find women do catch feelings and when they don't. Typically, if you giving a woman some good dick, but at the same time, that woman doesn't find your non-sexual companionship that appealing to her, then more often than not, she's not going to catch feelings. Mm. Occasionally she might, but most of the time she's not. But this is why I use this phrase a lot of times. I tell guys, male clients and women, I say, I don't like to blur the lines. Here's when a, a woman is most likely to catch feelings for you. Is when you as a man, you start blurring the lines. What I mean simply by that is that you start treating her and interacting with her almost as if she's a girlfriend than just a, like, for example, you take me and some women have called me an asshole for being this way, but it works. See, like if I have a fuck buddy, I treat you like a fuck buddy. Meaning that I ain't gonna allow you to call me on the phone and talk about how your mm, day went. That's important. That you you're didn't get, don't, you're not getting along with one of your coworkers. I hang mm -hmm. up on your ass. You try to call me with that shit, I'm gonna be like, I'm 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 outie. And I've had a lot of women say, damn, Alan, you just say you just an asshole, huh? You just an <laughs> asshole. I'll be like, I don't give a fuck. So because I ain't trying to blur the lines. That's important though. I'm like, I'm here for dick to give you dick and for you to give me pussy. Other than that, I don't want to hear about your family barbecue, your upcoming reunion. I don't want to hear about none of that shit. But see, when you start blurring those lines and spend going, taking women out to the movies, taking them to a concert, going over to their aunt's house with them, mm -hmm. their, their brother's, sister's house with them and all that shit, then yeah. And on top of that, you giving them some good dick too? There's like an 80 to 90 percent chance that woman's gonna catch feelings. Agree, agree, yes. agree. Yes, it's like they kissing you all in the mouth, taking you to meet their mama and they're like, we can't have a relationship, girl. What you trying to Exactly. Like, damn. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that shit. I don't, I don't, and I see a lot of guys do basically guys who run variations of indirect pumping. Like, honestly, I hate to say it, I do what about my own cousin on the bus, even though I never mentioned my name. But I got a cousin in Chicago. That's what he does. And we've gotten into some heated debates because a lot of women that he's had casual sex with, he will do social activities with those women as if they're his girlfriend. Like, he'll introduce, he used to introduce them to his parents. He would go over to the house for Thanksgiving and all that type of shit. And then, sure enough, some of those women would catch feelings, and then he would, you know, and he would have drama. Then he'd be asking me for advice on how to squash the drama. Of course he like, did. But then on the flip side, he would criticize me and say, well, Alan, man, the problem I have with you is you treat fuck buddies like fuck buddies. And I was like, and your point is what? He's like, man, I don't know, man. It just makes me feel like I'm being kind of like a dick, like I'm being an asshole. I said, hey, I don't give a fuck if women perceive me, categorize me as a dick or asshole. If I'm a woman's fuck buddy, I'm going to treat them like a fuck buddy. They ain't going to get no boyfriend access from me. 
None. Wow. So when I, you try I agree to- with that, and I think that that's a smart approach. I think that, and it ties into kind of everything that you say in your book. You're being honest and upfront. Why would you blur the lines and um, you know and, and engage in activities that a boyfriend would engage in if you if it's you know strictly a sexual relationship? Because men, um, to, in, in my opinion, I think that men um, want a woman to feel a certain way about them because they're able to um, use the, that woman for sexual favors, whatever, whatever. That's manipulation. And, yeah. And then um, when a woman has feelings for you, you know, the sex tends to be better for a lot of guys. So yeah, why are we on this subject of, of women catch feelings? I, I want to just make a quick statement because... See, there's a lot of things men, beliefs men will buy into that are just bullshit. And one of the things I had to check a lot of guys on when I first got on YouTube, I'd be listening to different people's podcasts and different live streams. And a lot of guys would make this generalization that, hey, I'm going to tell y'all fellas, man, when it comes to sex, man, women are very emotional. Women are very emotional. So you got to keep that in mind. And they would basically imply that pretty much any woman you sleep with is going to inevitably mm-hmm. catch feelings. That's bullshit. And any man in your chat room who believes that shit, they don't know women like I do. That's bullshit. Trust me. Women can treat a, a man just like a piece of dick, just like men can treat a woman just like a, I've had Contrary to popular in my life that have treated me like I was just, particularly women who are in a relationship, like women who were cheating on their husband or cheating on their fiance or cheating on their boyfriend. A lot of those women I mess around with, that's how they would treat me. They would never treat me like, oh, Alan, I'm falling in love with you. They would treat me like basically like, Alan, you are my designated dick. That's all you are to me. You'll never be nothing more than that. You are my designated dick. When I get horny for your dick, I will call you. Otherwise, I don't want to hear from you. And I know many women who've, who've treated guys like they were just a piece of dick. Do you think guys' egos um, actually get bruised from that? Or is oh, it sure. Thing? Oh, sure. does it? Okay. A lot of guys, yeah. <laughs> Perfect quick story along those lines. Um, that, that same presentation I was telling you about I did in Chicago. I, I There was a section during my presentation where I was talking about actually catching feelings, what we were just talking about. And this woman comes up to me at the end of the presentation. We got talking, and she had graduated from Northwestern University, which is a highly esteemed university, Chicago area. And uh, she said, Mr. Curry, I want to correct you on something. I don't know if I misinterpreted you, but it sounded like you were implying that only women catch feelings. I said, no, I don't, I don't believe that. But I said, I would probably venture to say that women are probably more guilty of that than men. She said, well, I don't know. And she wanted to tell me a story. She had a sexual relationship with this star football player at Northwestern. And she said when she first met him, she wanted more. But he was the one who made it clear. He said, hey, I just want to fuck. I Basically, I just want you to be my fuck buddy. And she said she was down. She said, okay. So they fucked for like about a year and a half. And then she came to the end of her senior year. So when she was about to graduate, she said, she told him, she said, hey, it's been fun, but I'm going to graduate, so I hope everything works out for you. And, I, and she said, he was like, wait a minute, like, 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 you breaking up with me? 
And she said, break up with you? Nigga, we was never together like that. We was just fucking. <laughs> she said, he was like, oh, wow. She said, this was a big deal, you know, big football player, masculine type dude. But she said, he was getting all soft. He was like, but like, I'm like falling in love with you, like, over the last year. Like, I thought this would last. Like, she's like, no, sweetie. You started off saying you just wanted us to be fuck buddies. I went along with it. Now I'm ready to go out in the real world. I just wanted to come and tell you, you know, good luck. But I, and she said he literally dropped his knee and started crying. He's like, please don't do this to me. Please don't do this. To Some me. men can't handle being treated like a piece of meat. You know, they can do it, but they can't handle it when, you know, it's them being treated like a piece of meat. And so then, you know, and I, I've noticed like within situationships, um, a man will try to blur those lines so the woman could uh, feel some type of way. And then it's like as soon as they get that gratification and it's like, oh, she does feel some type of way about me. I, now I can just chill out. And I've, I've kind of noticed that. So I thought that was very, very interesting. Oh, yeah. Here's a simple, easy way you can tell if a guy's front or if, he, if he's really fuck buddy material. If a guy's real fuck buddy material, and by virtue of being fuck buddies, that means y'all not monogamous. That means y'all open to fuck other people. If a guy's true fuck buddy material, and you come at him and say, hey, I can't fuck you tomorrow because tomorrow I'm going to be fucking Leon. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Now that's true fuck mm. buddy material. If a guy's fake fuck buddy material, I think you know how he's going to react. If you say, hey, I can't fuck you tomorrow because I'm going to fuck you. Oh, Oh, Leon. Who the fuck is Leon? Who's this nigga? And you like, why you concerned? We just fuck, man. No, who? Who? Because see, that nigga been faking like he is, but really he thinks he owns your pussy. He thinks he owns it and he don't want you sharing it, even though he the one who told you he want to have a... I, I've, I've seen and witnessed that happen in certain... Or I've had women tell me about it. They'll be like, this guy told me he just wanted to be fuck, buddies, but the moment I mentioned I was going to fuck Another nigga in addition to him, another guy in addition to him, he got all bent out of shape. That's because he really, yeah, he's saying, you know, he wanted me, but really, he doesn't call feelings deep down. He's territorial. At minimum, he's just very territorial. And because, uh, yeah, if you're truly going to do this fuck buddy shit, you got to be willing to accept that the person you're in a fuck buddy relationship is going to be fucking other people. Mm. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Hear me when you say interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just taking it all in. Very good information. Uh, Danny, do you have more questions? Um, Any final well, questions? Know, I always have questions, but for the sake of the interview, I'm going to get somewhere and sit down um, <laughs> and chill out. But I think this was a really really good interview and absolutely thank you so much um for gracing us with your presence mm -hmm. i agree thank you so much um a really dope interview very insightful um definitely go and uh check out mr curry's books um you know he has them in ebook and audio book form as well as uh, you know your traditional uh, book format so definitely check them out even for the ladies um, when I first started researching I was like okay well these books you know they seem to be guides for men but they were very insightful in addition um, the one thing that I liked about um, I've read both mode one and Ooh, say it again um, the one thing that I liked about it is that um, 
if you actually, you know, take your time and, you know, you listen to the books, you realize that he is not promoting this, you know, misogynistic mindset. He's actually encouraging men to be honest and upfront. And he's very insightful. You might also learn something about yourself. Um, it, it was kind of um, refreshing to read the books. So, um, well, I listened to him on, on audio book, but yeah, Thank definitely you, check them out. Absolutely. Oh, I want to answer a question before we go. Mm-hmm. Kind of ask- me earlier and I felt like I went away from it because it's a good question. You asked me, Alan, can a lot of the advice you share in your book, Mo One, can it benefit women in the same way that it could benefit man? Man, and the answer is yes. And here's a inter- quick interesting story. When when I first came out with the paperback version of Mo One in uh late February, early March of 2006 one of the first feedback I got was from a woman from Atlanta who read my book. And she said, Alan, I'm going to put, even though I'm a woman, I know your book was written for men. I'm going to put it in place. I'm going to put more one in, 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 in the practice. And then a few weeks later, she wrote me and she said, Alan, you imply that if a man is more one with women, that you going that the men are gonna leave a lot of women flustered and speechless and fumbling over their words. Well, I'm here to tell you, as a woman, I've done that with you men. And she said, "Yeah, this sister from Atlanta said after she read my wow. book, anytime she was at a social function, like guys say, would come up to her and initiate a conversation. Basically, they just start talking what I call bullshit small talk." It's her classic line. She says she would use. She say, "Hey, can I stop you for a second and ask you a direct question?" And she said, "The man would be like, sure. Are you talking to me with the intention of trying to impress me with your achievements, <laughs> accomplishments, or in reality, do you really just want to get straight to the point and have me open my legs so you can fuck the shit out of me?" Oh wow! Do you know she said three fourths of the guys she said that to. Start getting all nervous and start fumbling over the world. You know, I've read books that say um, that women, like when women are trying to um, get to know men, like in the dating game and stuff. Um, I've heard guys, and I've, I've heard this from men. You should probably say some of the boldest stuff that a man has never heard, um, and walk away and. They say that the men will end up chasing you. It's true, too. But anywho. Well, I don't know about the chasing part, but I'll say this. And I'm going to on this note. To show you how Mo One can work, and I don't know if I'm going to say the exact comment she said to me, but over half the reason I'm in my relationship with my fiance. My fiance, because people, of course, ask me, like, how did you? And number one, we met here on YouTube. My wow. fiance, that's how I met my fiance. She watched... Some of my videos, one in particular, and she became enamored by me. And she wrote me, and we got to talking. And I think it was in our second, no later than our third conversation, she said something very mo one to me, basically along the lines of, I want you, I want to be yours, and I will be you like no woman ever in your life. Oh, wow. And Man, I was you know what it kind of reminds me of your story, not your story, but it kind of reminds me of um, Fifty Shades of Grey. 
it's very Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, yeah, my so yeah, my my fiance, she was because a lot of guys were asking me, was I more one? I said no, my fiance was more one with me. Yeah, she she let me know she wanted a relationship, and she's basically like, I will be the most obedient, submissive woman you've ever had in your life. That is so interesting. Yes. Yeah. So. Oh, thank no, you, thank maybe, you again. How can it, how can everybody find you here on YouTube? Um, yeah, I think uh, your link YouTube, was dropped. It's author Alan Roger Curry. That's my YouTube channel, and then um, I direct men to my main website, um, directapproachdating.com. Directapproachdating.com, and you'll find out all information about my dating coaching. My books and audiobooks are on Amazon.com, specifically my audiobooks are on audible.com. And then I have another website. I do BDSM and polyamory consulting with both individual men, individual women, and couples. And that site is mode1.net, M-O-D-E-O-N-E.net forward slash training, forward slash training. And then that's where they can find out more about me. And uh, I appreciate this interview. You, both you ladies asked me some excellent questions. Some Thank you. For a loop for a few seconds. And uh, and I, it's just been an enjoyable interview. Thank you. We, we appreciate having you. It was really, really dope. Thank you. Thank you again. Mm -hmm. Have a great evening. You too. Thank you so much. Um, you guys, be sure to go and tune in to ARC. Um, somebody drop his link in the chat for us. And also the Roger Report Live has a show that's getting ready to start. So if you guys want to head over there, that will be great. Thank um, you guys for all your support. Um, thank you guys for all your support. And once again, thank you to Alan. This was an awesome interview. Um, you know, very, very, you know, insightful. And um, I'm glad that he, um, you know, took us up on our offer. But thank you you guys for listening in and peace out enjoy the rest of your week um shout out to dj naff excuse me dj Noff, for the cash app we really really appreciate you guys um you guys be sure to tune in with us on sunday and i think we're going to be doing an all-female panel not sure just yet but i think we are um so you guys be sure to come back on sunday you guys have a great rest of the week and be safe we're out Peace.